This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake or check out their website at iSellers.ca. Find out how you can support us, like Adnan, by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. I can't believe you just told your wife to do stuff and she actually did it without saying anything. My wife loves and supports what we do, and for some reason she seems to like you too. Hmm. That's a very strange thing. So I was at a wine cellar today, and the lady said to me, or texted me anyway, because we were not allowed to be in the same room. She said, I've been overruled by my husband. And I thought, huh. What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so th- this is going to be our last in-face session for a little while, so I'm not sure when exactly people are going to be listening to this podcast, but we are going to follow directives from health officials and proper social distancing. The day we're recording this is... Uh, it's the 18th. March 18th. Oh, and it's surprising that, that you know you and I have been... Since since our, our inception of the podcast, we have been uh, able to be socially distant. We have done many, many podcasts. Right. So, and then, so future podcasts will be done over Skype. So we do hope to continue creating the content, if anything, to help be a distraction for uh, people people and, who are listening to this. And then the funny part is, we as we developed content for our podcast, we were like, oh, we should get together more often and taste wines together and stuff like that. So aren't we silly? We are. But I mean, the the, the upside is, I mean, anyone who've been, anybody who has been listening to the podcast since the beginning will notice that the audio quality has gotten higher as we've kind of picked up little pieces of equipment along the way. And we have a fully functioning mobile studio, which you got to enjoy last week when I interviewed Franck uh, Bichon from that actually sounded very La Rose. Good. Yeah, much. that was right upstairs at the Grand Crudeli with uh, a laptop you just had lying around. I did. It was a crappy little laptop, and I said, "You do whatever you can with this one." And I actually, had, the funny part is, I'd given you, given, given, given you, I'd given you three. I sound like Trump when I do that. It's like I'm making up words. Uh, I'd given you three different laptops that I had kicking around the house that were just really old and didn't do anything for me. Uh, they were just mini things, and you're like, "Nope, this one doesn't work. This I can't use." And I gave you this little blue one that I yeah. thought was like, you know, nothing. No, it's amazing. It's and you amazing. were like, "This thing works great." And I'm like, it's "So amazing!" Oh. It's got a touch screen to it. Anyways, all right. I don't need to go over the equipment. Um, so we've mentioned on the podcast like eight billion times in the past five weeks that you've been in Italy. I was, and it's been at least three or four weeks since I got back. So, so uh, you've done proper self isolation and. Besides, besides the hacking cough and the shortness of breath, I'm oh, fine. Shut up, Michael. <laughs> shut up, Michael. It's all this is not a joke. So, um, yeah, I, I was there, and I was there for my annual annual trip um, for uh, Tuscany. How much olive oil did you bring back? Do you know what? That's the funny. Everybody always asks me that question. I actually probably brought more balsamic vinegar this time because there's a guy who always does little mini balsamic vinegars. Okay. And uh, I have a friend who just just totally loves this stuff. Uh, so I got 19 little mini balsamic vinegars this time, all in little plastic packages. Um, 
Uh, and I, I think I got three or four different bottles of olive oil. I love olive oil. I've got a stockpile of this stuff. I know. So. Apparently, you have a reputation of being the olive oil guy. Yeah. And I am the guy who, you know, if you've got a bottle of olive oil at the table and it's your olive oil and it hasn't been opened through the course of an evening, I'm like, uh, you're using that? <laughs> so, I, I, you know, many, many moons ago, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Conrad Edgebeck, said if you get a chance to get good uh, good olive oil from places like Italy or Portugal or Spain or anything like that to uh, to take advantage of it. Uh, you can only put so many bottles of wine in your luggage, but you know you can put unlimited olive oil in unless you're just willing to pay the duty, which is the category I fall into. Well, I will occasionally, but or just lie about it. So here's the thing: I'm going to throw it to you, and I'm just going to let you talk. And if I have any questions, I'll just raise my hand. All Michael, right, so tell me about your trip to Italy. Where uh, did you go? What did you do? What the f- started started in in, uh, in Tuscany. Uh, did um, did the usual? We did uh, uh, Chianti Classico. We did uh, San Gimignano. We did uh, Vino Nobile, and we did Brunello. So the Chianti Classico uh, that we were looking at, uh, I, I have to say the the vintages is a good one. Wow, that is a big pile of paper that you got. I didn't think you knew that many words to read. I uh, I have to be honest. I'm I was like, wow, I can't believe I put all this into my uh, into the bag I brought. So the 2018 vintage is mostly what they were looking at, and uh, the 18 um, was uh, it's a, it's a nice vintage. There's there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you don't sound terribly enthused, though. It was, look, it was a good vintage. I was happy with it. What I was really happy was the Grand Selections that we tried, which were from uh, from fifteen, and they were you know fantastic wines. Sixteen, by the way, in Italy across the board, it seems is just like the vintage that everybody's going to talk about. And I remember sitting at at a table uh, in Vino Nobile with uh, with the owner uh, of. Uh, of Carpinetto, and somebody goes. So, what was seventeen like? And he ha- and he gives this long diatribe of of what seventeen was like. It's not a bad vintage, seventeen in Vino Nobile. It's it's a it's a decent vintage. It, it started off with a with a frost, and we got a a lowering of the fruit, kind of like what we got what we get here. When we get a, an early frost, then all the, only the strong survive, and you get you know good fruit that way. Um, and, and so he said all about that. And then somebody said, so what about 16 and 15? He goes, oh, they were great. <laughs> like that was it. That's nothing else to say. Uh, 14 and, and 13, not, not so wonderful. Uh, 14 has been described to me on a number of occasions as a complete disaster. Uh, and that's but it's funny how that, how those opinions vary from winery no, to winery and winemaker no, no, to winemaker. No, no, fourteen is a disaster in uh, in Italy. Don't, don't, they, don't they call those like the winemakers' years? They call or? them difficult vintages. Difficult vintages. Oh yeah, that's what they're called. But um, I haven't heard that expression in a while. I guess we, we've been pretty lucky in Ontario, minus the yeah, it's been the frost years since we've had yeah. like the difficult vintages. Difficult vintages, but uh, you know, fifteen and sixteen in Italy and in Ontario were were, were really good. Um, 17, uh, I, I'm happy with the wines I tried from 17, and I'm happy with the wines I, I tried from 18. I can't really complain about any. And then when you get into uh, into Brunello, they uh, they were showing off their 15s. Um, and what was really nice about about tasting the Brunellos from 15 was that it's a it's a hot vintage. Um, the wines are 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 good. 
but it's a not, it's it's a stop really it's a stop gap between you know 13 which was was okay 14 disaster 15 hot and then you got 16 which is like the perfect vintage so you got so a nice, really like Niagara. You got a nice ramping up of you know after fourteen, you get a nice fifteen, and the, and they're really nice. They're juicy, uh, they're approachable, uh, they are ageable as well. But you're going to get into sixteen where you're going to get those absolutely gorgeous bottles of wine. So uh, that's that was Tuscany. Any then, producers of note that you know are coming to the market, or I've got them all. Uh, now I've got all the Brunellos up at uh, MichaelPinkusWineReview.com. Uh, as of this Thursday, the Selections, which is the single vineyards, will be up. So the Brunello is, is completely up. Um, by the time maybe this podcast goes up, maybe San Gimignano. Um, well, what else are you going to be doing with your time? Vino Noble. Exactly. I don't have anything else to do. Vino Noble will probably be up. But definitely before the end of March, all, all of those uh, reports are going to be up. So you'll be able to see what wines. And here's the sad part. We're probably not going to see, you know, half of them here in Ontario. It doesn't matter what the LCBO does, uh, being open, being not open. They're obviously going to, you know, I think they're going to continue to be be open. Uh, I can't imagine a populace uh, like ours, you know, well, being slightly scared. To, I was talking with uh, my, my friend Guillaume, who is one of the, the business partners for ADX Wines. Uh, he's from Normandy. And he explained to me that France shut down everything but the essentials. Uh, like Francis is on lockdown right now as of today when we're recording this. So grocery stores, pharmacists, tobacco stores, and wine shops. Those are the four services allowed to be open in I, France right now. And I, I cannot see like a scared populace being being okay with, you know, being denied booze. Like, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but we need something as a vice. Uh, there are people like you and I who have a stockpile. Yep. Um, but there are people who, and we, and we know many of them who, you know, twenty four hours is a long time to hold a bottle of wine. Yeah. So they, you know, are going out. And I was, I was actually in the LCBO today. Well, and there mean, are a lot of empty shelves. I mean, the other thing too is we're we're dealing with. I know that I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about about COVID, but the reality is we're dealing with. Um, these are preventative measures. It feels crappy. It feels uncomfortable. But it's about stopping the spread of the disease. So if we practice responsible behaviors and follow the instructions of medical professionals, uh, I mean, this will eventually get under control. Uh, well, and, and I'm coming from a country that, that you know, when I, when I left, they were just starting to shut stuff down. And uh, I remember being in three days from my flight, and now they're talking about, you know, they're shutting down the north, they're shutting down uh, Milan. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to get out of here. And, well, and the other thing too and is, I, and I, I, I did. I'm, when I left, there was 403 cases in the whole of Italy, and then and then all hell broke loose. I, I know, uh, working at News Talk, we've been fairly like listening to experts. People have been fairly critical of Italy and uh, talking about the uh, necessity for a rapid response. So I guess by the time this podcast is out, we'll have seen, we'll be beginning to see how well we've done. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. So then I from Tuscany, which uh, you know I, I I was happy with the wines I tasted. I was I was very happy with uh, 
uh, with what's going on. Um, as I said, for, for certain, I'm looking forward to the 16s, the 18s were good. Like they've got some really classic vintages coming out. So uh, if you just avoid 14, I think 15, 16, 17, 18, you're going to be happy from Tuscany. Well, I know we did the great podcast with uh, Michael Goodell. I think that was last year. Who's a couple a, years ago. Who's an expert yeah. on Chianti and Chianti Classico. Yeah. Why don't you describe to me just as a bit of a, a reset, because I, I, I've made no apologies about the fact that Italy is a weak point in my wine knowledge, but I've been happy, especially with our Toronto Life column, to taste a lot more Italian wines. What can you expect from a classic vintage of Chianti Classico? Well, when you get when you get into the classics, you're going to get some herbal notes. You're also going to get... When you say herbal notes like Cabernet Franc, like green pepper? Yeah, or? well, not green pepper. You're going to get uh, uh, more... Um, more greenish notes. Okay. Okay. You're going to get... Uh, Sangiovese is just known for acidity. That's what Sangiovese is known for. And I sat in on a number of uh, seminars this time. Not necessarily seminars uh, by the region itself, but dinners and uh, wine makers talking. And what I was noticing, and I was going to get into that when I started talking about Umbria, which was the next place that I went to. But let's let's well, talk let's focus about on the flavor profiles here, let's, and then we'll get on to the next thing. Well, flavor profile the 15s. If you're if you're if you're buying 15, and that's something we're seeing a lot starting to come out into Ontario. It's a hot vintage, so you're going to see a lot of you know overripe fruit. But if a if a if a winery handled it well, it's going to just be really fruity and juicy. And sixteen is just one of those great vintages where you get just tons and tons of fruit. As we start getting into seventeen, we're starting to look at um, a, a more classic uh, vintage where we are getting the herbal notes, we are getting the high acidity, uh, but we are still seeing a lot of fruit. Um, so it's it's a it's a nice vintage. And as I said, in seventeen we have you know the strong survive in that in that vintage. Um, what I, what I was noticing is that the Italians are now getting out of, uh, so let me see if, if I have it when I, I went to, uh, I don't, I don't have it, but let me, let me, in this pile of paper, I left one thing behind. So I went to a tasting at Val di Suga, which is a, a, a Brunello wine winery. And one of the things that, that he did was we did a vertical tasting of uh, five or six wines, and two of them were in what they called their artisanal classic period. Okay. And then I think around 2010, uh, they started talking about the Robert Parker um, okay. era. So, yeah. you know, big extraction. And now they're back into larger barrels, more artisanal winemaking, uh, getting away from small barrels and into larger barrels. You know, it's kind of interesting to see, I guess, now that, like, it's undeniable the influence that Robert Parker had on winemaking for what is, like, almost half a century. But now that Parker seems to be stepping away, the introduction of social media, the introduction of just the concept of terroir. And here's the thing is there's even a bit of a revolt against the word terroir that exists on social media now but people are really like like the the evolution of winemaking is happening so quickly when i was in the northern rhone visiting just the one winery domaine de remisier they're in the middle of switching over their entire production from 225 liter barrels to 500 liter barrels for an entirely like but basically what is entirely a syrah production so it's, it's interesting to see that that's happening um happening all over the world that's it's, it's 
I don't. I, I like a little bit more elegance and, and subtlety in wine, but I guess it's the thing we just have to keep in mind is that um, the market's flavors evolve. Wine critics flavors evolve and you know i often wonder what it would be like to have traveled back in time and to taste what bordeaux tasted like before 1982 and i mean all the other there's so many other factors that play not just the barrels the fact that access to fantastic equipment to keep an eye on the chemical compounds that are working into your wine now exists now that didn't exist even 20 years ago and i mean you take a look at the quality of winemaking even in niagara how quickly it's improved even in my like even in my 12 years in ontario i can think back to tasting some of the 05 06 04 wines when i started before i started writing about wine and just how hit and miss some of the wineries were based on vintage but i think we can safely say now in 2020 especially since we're talking about niagara just for this quick moment there really is no such thing as a bad vintage just thanks to advancements in technology and people moving towards being more versatile with their styles of winemaking i I would i would argue that slightly there is such a thing as a bad vintage um and and it's just what we're gonna do about it i guess like uh i'm just just thinking back uh right now so uh, so we had 16, which is really good. We had 17, which is the miracle vintage. We have, but the quality of the wines from 17 are, are, are certainly much higher than we would have had in say 08 and 09. But I think 17 was, was, was 17 was saved by that, by that um, that hot fall. That hot fall. But you can say the same thing about 08 and 09. But I think 18 is really gonna. It, it, 18 in Ontario is really going to start separating. You know, for lack of a better term, than the men, men from, from the, the boys. boys. Yeah. Okay. Non-gender specific. Correct. But I'm just saying because 18 is complete opposite of of 17. You get a hot uh, a hot summer, and then you get a really fall but i mean it's the cool thing about how versatile what people have planted. you're gonna gonna have to see who can make wine with that but 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 it's interesting to see because it it depends on what people have planted like 18 correct 18 pinot noir and chardonnay riesling the early ripening varieties you were able to get them off and we're gonna probably end up with some really fantastic really warm tasting wines given the vintage where it's going to be a challenging vintage for bordeaux varieties i would think so too we're 17 that miracle that miracle vintage where a lot of wineries had to leave their Franck and Sauve and Merlot hang even into November still is going to produce it high... Break, watching it break down. But the people who got fruit off are going to end up with high quality wines across the board, whether you had Bordeaux or Pinot. I, I think you're going to see an, an 18 from Ontario, and we're way off the, uh, totally. the Italy thing now, but you're going to see really Merlot-heavy wines, especially in your Bordeaux uh, Bordeaux blends. Just because it, it ripens Just because it right? ripened early and yeah. it got off early. And then, you know, when you're able to get everything else off, you're probably like, well, you know what? We're going to have to shove the Cab Sauve into uh, Merlot. So, well, let's, 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 get, let's, let's focus this back. Let's bring ourselves back so, on top. So bringing back to uh, where, where I went to... Um, I, I went to. I did some. I did the Anteprima Sagrantino, which is in Umbria, which I think is a fabulous event. Uh, they do a lot. They do a, like a day of tasting, uh, and then they do. Um, uh, and they do. Uh, you know what? Here, uh, here's a shout out to uh, John Zabo. Uh, when he was actually at uh, the Brunello event that I was at, and as I was leaving, he said, "Where are you off to?" I said, "I'm going to Umbria." He goes. Trebbiano Spolitino. It is awesome. And let me tell you, Andre, I'm just hoping we get some Trebbiano Spolitino here in Ontario because some of those wines are truly, absolutely 
fantastic. Such a light summer wine. If you just let it be wine, instead of trying to oak it, trying to add uh, Lee's contact to it, I really are making it, turning it into orange wine. Look, this is an absolutely beautiful grape that has such great acidity, such great fruit. Stop trying to create a wine that it doesn't want to be. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Does that make sense to you? Make, the, make ones- the wine, make the wine taste good. Listen, I, I, you and I are both skeptical on um, wineries that are sort of following trends like a fart in the wind. Uh, but I understand you're trying to make a product to sell to market. But the bottom line is a lot of people are in such a rush to get these products to market that they're not very good. It's and, not, a, not a rush because this is a this is a wine that can be drank very early and I'm very not, I'm young. Not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about a rush in the wine production. I'm talking about you know as a production facility getting it, being in a rush to get the equipment set up and maybe pushing your winemakers who don't have best practices in place to make the wines taste good. So so Trebbiano Spolatino, if you ever get it or see it, uh, try it if you if you get a chance to. Uh, I can't guarantee all of them are going to be good, but as long as they're not overly manipulated they're they're a delightful wine they are such a great summery wine it never ceases to amaze me how like you and i are pretty hardcore on using the stars to review our wine and we've mentioned it many times on this podcast why we use stars but i'm looking at your pamphlet from the sagrantino uh anteprima it looks like you've devised yet again a new system for reviewing wines it there is uh one check mark yeah two check marks yep Three check marks. Correct. And then there's wines who get an X, yeah, which don't. is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. And then there's wines that are crossed off, which I'm guessing were either not there or very bad. Not there for the most part. Okay. Not there. Or or that I wasn't going to taste. So you've broken it down even even simpler to basically a three-star system, one, two, three. Correct. So it's a good, better, best. So a lot of these times at an Antiprima, these wines aren't on market yet. Some of them are barrel samples. Some of them are not. Some of them are specific to to whether they are barrel samples and some of them again are not and i am like wow hey so, so you you gave seven wines here three check marks correct out of 88 with yep. a handful not there that's almost 10 percent of the wines being of very high quality yep. uh vintage is being 2016 2016 okay so 2016 is the year oh and then 12019 here oh wow okay yeah. Cool. The, so we got to keep our eyes open for 2016. 16s uh, are, yeah. 16s are fantastic. Um, so what you, uh, and I think if you're looking at that particular flyer, you're looking at is the whites and the rosos. Uh, when you get into Sagrantino, if you look at that one, which is the next flyer over, those are the 2015s. Now that's still a good vintage. Um, oh, holy 16s. crap. But they're still, listen, you you and I, uh, what a lot of people don't know about our writing, if you go to andrewinereview.ca or michaelpinkuswinereview.com is um, we certainly don't change our scores after we speak to each other, but we hold each other to account to a certain extent where it's just like, if I've scored something four and a half or higher and you are at four or four plus, we still have the conversation being like, really, Andre? Really, Michael? Well, as, as you as you probably learned in our in our previous podcast, which is the one uh, about Bordeaux, when you got in touch with me, you were like, I said, there's nothing here that's four stars and above. And you said, you crazy. I've got four. I got everything at four and four and a half. And I was like, well, I even, you know, let me relook at some of these wines through the course of the day. You got me very early in the tasting. Yes. And and slowly as the wine started opening and, and 
I, I I started going okay, so maybe a couple and of these ends, and we ended up, up on the same. We're page. very close on some of ours. We still, I think, we were we were far apart on a couple of them. But the good, I think, good wines and, and cream rises to the top yep. as always. And we and agreed, and we agreed on the wines we scored high, Correct. even if our scores didn't didn't calibrate. Uh, so you've got, so these are all the twenty sixteens. Should be fifteens, are they not? It says sixteen up at the top of the page. The sixteen is. Hold on, let me take a take a quick look here. Uh, maybe it is sixteen. Oh, it is sixteen. Look at that! You drank so much you forgot what vintage you were I've, tasting. I've, if you've ever drank in that many, what is it, fifty-five Sagrantinos? It's a tough, uh, it's a tough slog. Yes, through. yes, quite, quite a bit of tannin if you're drinking yeah. them right with. But you still have four out of fifty that were three, yeah. three check marks, uh, and a lot of X's on the page too. So this definitely looks like a pretty scrutinous. Well, it's uh, a, it's a, it's a, t- it's here. a tough, it's a tough wine, and it's it's now you you and I have talked Sagrantino a little bit in the past, or at least and tasted some. These are tough, really tannic, really harsh wines. The, here's the thing that I learned. And they from, take forever to open. Correct, but here's what I learned from a place called Bocale, and. Um, the, the guy at Boccali, it's like Valentino Vincenzo or something like that. I don't have his card with me. Uh, I apologize. Uh, he used to be the mayor of Mont, uh, of, um, of of the area, which is is pretty interesting, of, of Montefalco. Well, and, okay. And, and what is interesting is he showed me a five-year uh, progression from 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 of his wines where each year he used less oak. And it was amazing how that wine... So so his 11 was completely uh, you know, 100% French small barrel barrique. And it was... It was a hard wine to drink. Even you know, you know, we're nine years from vintage date, and it was just it was like a tough, tough wine. Yeah. Uh, and then you get on to his twelve. So I'm gonna I'm going to uh, pull out the notes here because now I actually do have uh, have some notes on this one. Congratulations, Michael! You did your homework for the I first time finally, ever. Finally, did something here. So yes. And Lord knows you don't have the dog to eat your homework like I do. So. Oh no! It sounds so. So it's a twelve. So it's a twelve through. Uh, no, the eleven was a hundred percent. So then we get into um, we get into the, the two thousand and twelve, which is now seventy percent barrique and thirty percent large barrel. So it's a thousand liter barrel, wow. and it, it okay. started to soften the wine, although it still had some pretty tough and and harsh edges. Yeah, we got a fifty fifty barrique two thousand liter barrel in thirteen. Now thirteen is uh, you know a crappy vintage. But we still have, uh, you know, some aggressive, uh, aggressive tannins in there. Uh, then you have 14, which is also considered a tough vintage there, uh, as I'm noticing his notes. Uh, and and it, now we have a 30% barrique, 70% 1,000-liter um, barrel. And again, tough vintage, and it's a pretty lean wine in that tough vintage. But... Um, you could start to see as the wine's changing. And then in 2015, he went to a completely 100% 100 100-liter French oak barrel. And while it was still dark and jammy and the fruit was there, the tannins seemed to have softened. The grape is full of tannins. But I really do believe that as as Italians, and as I was talking about Val di Suga, they are doing the exact same thing. They are getting away from those barriques those tough tannins, realizing that Sangiovese is an Italian grape. So you you want to get away from 
uh, barrels that are used in Bordeaux, which are completely different grape varieties, and start going with Slavonian oak now. You're going with larger barrels, allowing uh, more more of the uh, less barrel to juice contact. And it's just softening the wines. Interesting to learn about, uh, you know, how Sangiovese uh, doesn't like a, a number of, uh, uh, of of certain elements uh, of 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 winemaking and of, and of growing. It doesn't like a lot of a lot of water because I don't think any grape likes no, a lot no, of well, water. Well, grapes grapes love water, but grapes are lazy. They're lazy. So they they've learned to manage the grapes better, and I think Italian wine is going getting away from that that Parker period. Uh, a lot of the region I, that I, I was, at, I would I would look forward I would look forward to that because the, the thing I find frustrating with Italian wine is so many of them are and I'm putting air quotes out there food wines, which I think is is, is one of the reasons why I've ten, tended to stay away, um, just because I mean apart from the fact that the labels are are inaccessible to people unless you have an interest in Italian wine. So it's tough to navigate the LCBO if you, like I said, if you don't understand it. The wines are also tough because I'll, I'll be honest, as much as I love doing wine and food, like the more and more we get into this, the more and more I'm, I'm focusing less on doing the, the pairing. Like I, I don't mind having a glass of wine on the table with the meal. Uh, and I love it when that great marriage happens, but we've talked about on the podcast before how rare it is for that perfect marriage to take place. I want a wine that I can sit down, watch Picard, and, you know, right now, like, cr- crushing a bottle of Burgundy every week, I'm not worried about doing, like, a beef bourguignon or, or anything on the side with, with the wine. I get home, I put the wine in the decanter, have a glass of wine with supper, and just enjoy the wine, you know? And it, it, I just, moving away from a Parker-style wine, I hope will make the Italian wines more accessible, less tannic, drink and chug. Well, I think less tannic is, is really the way they want to go. Uh, they want to keep that acidity, so it's always going to be a food wine. Sangiovese is just—it's just a—it's just a wine that loves acidity to begin with, but especially in a, in a region like like Brunello, where they've always needed time uh, to really be drinkable. It's nice to see that they are getting away from you know small barrels, French oak. A lot of them are starting to talk about something called Slavonian oak, which you may or may not have heard of. I guess East, Eastern European oak is is what it would be, um, and and believe it or not, that was pioneered by a winery called Biondi Santi back in like 1868. Like that's where Brunello comes from, uh, and they they from the beginning were like we're using Slavonian, we're not using French, we're obviously not using American, we're going to use this. And it was interesting at the Valdezuga dinner where they said they were they were right right from the beginning, realizing that we should be using large barrels and using non-French oak. I, I think it's 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 going to be cool to see how other barrels uh, really become more prominent. I know French barrels are still king, especially given what's happening in in Niagara. But you know we do it often on the podcast. It's been a while. Shout out to Derek Barnett for really being a pioneer of using Canadian oak and making top tier wines with Canadian oak. Uh, Featherstone, Kevin Panagapka, 2027 sellers, uh, back 10 sellers. I mean, uh, hopefully there's some money in some great Coopers starting to but, set up shop, but it's it's clear that French oak is not the be-all and end-all of Fre- everything. French oak is good for French varieties. Let's let's go with that. You know, uh, Bordeaux barrels for, for Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot. Sure, great. Yeah. But 
you know, Sangiovese doesn't seem to like French oak, doesn't like new French oak, and it's time to find something else to soften it out. And as you said, make it more approachable yeah. instead of nothing but, you know, acid and, and wondering when it's either going to drop or when those tannins are going are to come around. And it's just something that's a, that a lot of winemakers, this time out that I had learned, I learned that they were learning how to better manage, uh, you know, I, uh, Italy's staple grape, which is Sangiovese. Anything else to add? What else? Are we, where are we at now? I well, that was it. So, uh, Umbria Sagrantino. Um, I think what we're going to find from Sagrantinos coming in the future is that they are going to be more approachable. As you mentioned, you know, when we have, uh, I think at one point we were both sent a bottle of Sagrantino years ago. Yeah. Uh, and when we first started the podcast, and and I think you opened yours. Mine is, believe it or not, still in. No, I believe the, it. In the cellar, because I was hoping we'd open that up, you know, years later and and check it out. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll still we do did. that. But I remember that one bottle being really, really harsh, like just mouth rippingly harsh. Uh, and that I believe is like from the 09 vintage or something like that. So it's probably still got like a yeah, lot many left years ago. That's fine. I, I'm sure the podcast will keep going. Like, what else are we going to do with our time over the next few weeks? <laughs> well, we got to get together to try it, unless I can uh. send wine through the mail. But what I'm saying is, I think you're going to start noticing that Sagrantino is not going to be as mouth ripping. It'll still need time, but I don't think I think it'll be much more approachable sooner in the coming years. That's fantastic. Uh, I guess, you know, the last thing I just want to ask about before we we wrap up, because you did mention that many of these great wines are not going to come to market. And I know given that everyone is currently devastated with what's going on with COVID, what is the tourism infrastructure like to go and visit the wineries in Tuscany? So during this thing or not or after this? Oh, it doesn't matter. Just like if if, if uh, I decide to drop myself off in in Tuscany and go check out some of these wineries what's it like what do i got to do well there's there's like apps that you can get now that'll get you two wineries uh and and tell you which ones are open is it a tasting room experience? yeah but that tasting well not, or, or like make an appointment experience no no it's a tasting room experience i i now i get what you're talking about because i did listen believe it or not i do listen to your interview with uh with frank uh and you were talking about bordeaux being strictly a uh, make an appointment style place. Yeah, exciting to hear uh, Bordeaux, uh, Cru Bourgeois making some real changes, changes to make the region accessible. Italy is also into that point where you can you can you know find the winery and show up. You may have to go you know find the winemaker who's you know in the in the cellar, uh, but they they do have tasting rooms, not as elaborate as the ones that you find in the U.S. and Canada and New World. I'm okay with places. that. I am so okay with that. You know, you you'll end up most likely tasting at the guy's kitchen table. Uh, you also know, okay with that. Uh, you know, his wife may come out with a loaf of bread, uh, you know, or some some meats and cheeses and stuff like that, and that's that's really cool. Uh, but yeah, they're they're op- they're open for business. Probably not right at the moment, but no. they are they are open for business to to when you when we finally can go back to Italy. And I I'll be honest, I miss Italy already. Uh, and and the reason is I know I can't go back right away. Do you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. when you know you can always go, you're like ah, I'll get there another day. But knowing that you just can't go at the drop of a hat makes you miss a place even more. Wow, you know that was that was really great. I'm looking forward to uh, if, if the trend of winemaking is that the wines are becoming more accessible. 
I'm still drinking my way through France right now, but Italy is next on the list. So hopefully by the time I get there, the wines will be more accessible. And we will give you that. That is better. <laughs> That's the best. I didn't know. I, I, I shot my wad on the last thing I said. So now I'm. <sighs> I'm not even sure if that belongs in the swear jar, but it probably does. Uh, I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. Do we, do we need a. Do we need to call Brian Schmidt to see what he says? Yeah, we could get a ruling on that. All right. Ruling from Brian Schmidt, if you're listening, is, is blowing my wad. A swear uh, jar thing. say it again. Blowing my wad? What's wrong with that? Okay, just wrap up. I'm Michael Bingus of MichaelBingusWineReview.com, and I really like watching Andre's face turn that shade of red. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.